Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Our text this morning will be from Colossians, the second chapter, verses 8 through 15. And as you're turning there in your scriptures, I would like to uh, make a small addition to your liturgy, if I may. After we stand and hear the word of God, I will conclude that with the word of the Lord. And you, the congregation, will respond, thanks be to God. Colossians, the second chapter, starting in verse 8. Congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, this is God's holy revealed truth to us. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all authority, all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven all our trespasses by canceling the record of the debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we indeed stand in humble awe of your truth. We ask, O oh God, that our hearts would indeed kneel before the truth of your word, recognizing it to be authoritative for our faith, for our faith and practice. We ask, O oh God, that we would indeed hear your word and that we would live according to it. We pray for this grace of the strength and power of your Holy Spirit. For it is in Christ's name we pray these things. Amen. Today we'll be celebrating both of our Christian ordinances. I want to examine a phrase in our text that I feel has particular significance for what we will be participating in today. I'm going to be looking in particular and focusing on verses 11 and 12. In verse 11, if we just read that again, in him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Now I'm going to take a slightly different sense of this passage than what you may see uh, a typical interpretation of in reform circles. The phrase that I believe that is key to understanding this text is found at the end of verse 11 where it says the phrase, the circumcision of Christ, as it is correctly rendered in the ESV. Short grammar lesson here. These two nouns, circumcision and Christ, are connected with genitive, the word of. 
So that is, we have the phrase of Christ. It's what is called a genitive noun clause. The genitive is a noun clause that modifies or shows a relationship with another noun. There are three basic categories of the genitive noun clause. Three basic cases. Subjective, objective, and possessive. The subjective genitive names the subject of the action that's contained in the other noun. So in our phrase, circumcision of Christ, Christ would be the subject, the person doing the circumcising. So we would read that phrase as the circumcision performed by Christ. The objective genitive names the direct, act, the direct object of the action indicated in the other noun. In this case, the action of the circumcision would be carried out on Christ. So we would read that phrase meaning the circumcision performed on Christ. The reference therefore would be to Christ's own death, circumcision being used as a metaphor for violent death. That is the position I'm going to take in this message this morning. My plan is to work backwards through this verse to explain that why I believe that's what this passage is all about. The circumcision carried out on Christ, or the death of Jesus Christ. Let's begin by looking at the phrase immediately preceding this, putting off the body of the flesh. I'm arguing that this refers to the death of the Lord Jesus. Now I feel that the translation of this noun here, and it is a noun, our translations, English translations make it look like a verb, but it is a noun is a bit soft. I believe the sense of the word here is the act of leaving out or leaving a certain state or condition of being divested of a garment. The verb form of this noun is better translated as, I believe, as stripping off the body of flesh. So you see this image then of stripping off the body of flesh is far more intense and vivid It emphasizes the physical nature and maybe add the utter horror of Christ's death. The verb form is used again in this very passage that we read this morning. And I believe that the usage in that particular verse reinforces the picture I believe is being portrayed here. The corresponding verb is first used in verse 15. He disarmed, that is stripped, the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. The picture is also pretty graphic. It's that of conquering soldiers going out on the battlefield after the battle to strip all the valuables from the utterly helpless corpses of the enemy soldiers. It is a picture of ultimate defeat, ultimate humiliation. You see, this very picture is perfect here in this passage because just when it looked like the forces of evil and darkness were winning as they were putting our Lord Jesus to death, they were actually being defeated, stripped of their power and authority. The writer of Hebrews says the same thing in Hebrews 2.14. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he, that is Christ himself, likewise partook of the same things that through death 
he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil. The term body of flesh, as we see in this phrase, is rather unusual. This exact construction is used in only one other place in the New Testament. Care to guess where that might be? Well, it is found in the book of Colossians, chapter 1, verse 22, where it reads, He, that is Christ, has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. The phrase here, of course, plainly refers to Christ's body being given in death for us. This circumcision, then, entails not just a stripping off of a small portion of flesh, but the violent removal of the whole body in death. Now Paul goes on to state this, that this circumcision was made without hands. There are a number of truths, I think, that can be wrapped up in this statement, but I'm going to look at just one aspect of it that's related to the subject of our Christian ordinances. You see, Christ had a literal circumcision, didn't he? One that was made with hands, correct? We know that as an eight-day-old Jewish male infant, he was circumcised in his flesh. So why did he do that? Or more properly, why did his parents do that? Well, we know, of course, that this was instituted back in Genesis 17, when the Lord God gave the covenant sign of circumcision to Abraham. And I'll read a few portions of that passage. God says, I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout your generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You see, this covenant sign had a covenant promise attached to it. This covenant promise has never been revoked. It was repeated in the first Christian sermon given in the book of Acts. The same one where the apostle Peter instructed the believing Jews to repent and be baptized. The same promise was given. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. So we celebrate that promise even now. And we will do that in a few moments. But there was another promise attached to the sign of circumcision. In Genesis 4 and 17, it goes on to say, in verse 14, any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. You see, for the Lord Jesus, this covenant sign became a terrible reality. In Isaiah 53, verse 8, the prophet states that this, covenant, that this servant of the Lord, the one who was to be the sin bearer, was cut off out of the land of the living 
stricken for the transgression of my people. The Apostle Paul tells us in Galatians 3.13 that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Jesus bore the curse of the covenant for us. And to be sure that we understand the full magnitude of this powerful truth, the very next statement that Paul makes, he declares an even more incredible truth. In Christ, the reality of his death and consequently his resurrection becomes ours. Having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through the powerful, through faith and the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. The baptism spoken of here has a view to a reality that signifies our union with Jesus Christ. Paul speaks of the same reality in Galatians 3.27, where he says, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. So what does this all mean for us? The apostle states that we were circumcised in Christ. What happens to the Lord Jesus happens to us. In him, we have died a violent death. The circumcision of death that happened to Jesus has also happened to us. As we saw in 1.22, we have been reconciled in Christ's body of flesh in his death. Likewise here, Paul says that in Christ's death, that is his circumcision, his putting off of the body of flesh, believers have also died, were circumcised. We as believers identify what Christ has done and accept its benefits through faith. The believer's union with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection is stressed throughout this passage. God reveals his power to overcome and overrule death in Jesus' resurrection, and that power becomes available to those who put their trust in him. So, in these ordinances here before us today, what do they teach us? Christ Jesus bore the sign of the curse of circumcision. If we put our hope and trust in Jesus, then our participation in this table points us to a circumcision that we will never, ever experience. We can celebrate the communion of this table now because Jesus was stripped of his body of flesh and bearing the curse of the broken covenant for us. When we celebrate the ordinance of water baptism, we are indeed seeing the sign and seal of our identification with Christ Jesus in his death and burial and ultimately his resurrection. We celebrate the ordinance of water baptism now and not circumcision because Christ Jesus underwent the final circumcision, the one that was effectual for all of us. When we participate in these simple ordinances, may the Holy Spirit grant us the faith to cling to the circumcision of Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that when we look to the cross, when we put our confidence in the mighty work of redemption accomplished by Christ Jesus, that, Lord, you will remove our hearts of stone, and you have given us hearts of flesh. Grant that we may walk in love and obedience in the resurrection power of Christ, both now and forever. 
Amen.